The stories of the Gospels tell of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what comes next? What happened after the resurrection? While the disciples were still talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Well, good morning and happy Memorial Day weekend to you. And thanks so much for joining us here at STSA Church Online on this holiday weekend where obviously uh, the holiday this year doesn't look like it ever has in the past. But I hope that despite the circumstances, you're still able to get some time relaxing, maybe get outside and run around a little bit, and of course, spend some time with the loved ones. And speaking of those loved ones, I wanted to let you know about a four-week series that we're going to be kicking off next week called Disconnected. And it's about a topic that is probably more relevant now than it ever has been in, in the past. We're going to talk about communication. And we're going to talk about how God wired us all uniquely. We're going to talk about our temperaments and the four basic temperaments that exist. And we're going to see how that unique wiring affects the way we communicate with others. Our unique wiring affects the words that we need to use in order to be heard by others. And it impacts the words that we need to hear in order to feel loved and respected and heard by others. So I really hope that you would join us next week. And I would also encourage you to invite a friend. If you know someone, a family um, or friends who are struggling with relationships and everyone, you know, on top of everyone during this quarantine and they're just frustrated and at wit's end, invite them to join us next week and hopefully God will use that to help us um, communicate more effectively and lovingly in these unique circumstances that we're in. But that's next week. First, this week, we are wrapping up our series called After the Resurrection, where what we're talking about is what Jesus did in those 40 days after he rose from the dead before he ascended up into heaven. And if you were here on week one, we kicked off this series by looking at a story that took place on the first Easter Sunday from Luke chapter 24. And it's about a time when Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, he appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it is the original, like, candid camera of, of, the, of the New Testament. It's like the first undercover boss where Jesus is walking with these two disciples and they're walking and they're chatting. And in their mind, Jesus is dead and he's buried and Jesus is gone and they're so sad. And Jesus is like walking right next to them and they don't see it. And Jesus wanted to open their eyes and show them that he was alive. So the first thing he did is this, Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. What Jesus did at this point is he gave them what I would say is the greatest Bible study ever given. He talked to them about Moses and the law and the prophets and the kings and the history, and he showed them how everything in the Old Testament was pointing to him and was pointing to not a Messiah who would reign and free them from the Romans, but a Messiah who would die, who would suffer, who would die, and who would rise again. And he pointed, opened their eyes and pointed out to them all the connections between the prophecies and himself but they still didn't see him. They still didn't know it was Jesus. It wasn't until he did something else that their eyes were open. And we see that in verse 30. It says, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. So the key here, don't miss this point, is that it wasn't in the Bible study 
It wasn't in the knowledge. It wasn't in the explanation. It wasn't in the teaching that they saw Jesus. It wasn't in what they learned in their mind. It wasn't until they did something that they saw him. Or better, it wasn't until Jesus did something and they shared in what he was doing. And what we've been saying in this series from the beginning is Jesus' mission on this earth was not to give information, was not to give knowledge, was not to build a, a, a family of scholars. It was to build a family of children. It was, it was relationship. It was sharing in his life. You know, there's a big difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. You can know about someone very easy these days. It doesn't take you very much time. You can go on the internet and you can know everything there is to know about this celebrity or this royalty or this famous person. You can know everything about that person, but that doesn't mean you know them. You may know a lot about me. Like you can know all the facts about me, but that's not the same as my children who share life with me and live with me and participate in our shared life. Well, the goal of Christianity is not knowledge about, it's participation in. That's the verse that we've been looking at from the very start from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. St. Peter says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. That partaking of the divine nature didn't happen when Jesus gave them the Bible study. Didn't happen when Jesus opened their eyes to the scriptures. It happened when he broke bread, when he did something, and they shared in that doing with him. And that's what this series is all about. Our goal is to figure out how we can partake in the divine nature, how we can participate in the life of Christ, how we can be not just learners about him, not just people who read about him and discuss him, but people who share in his very life. And the, the, the means by which we do that, the vehicle by which we can do that today is the body of Christ. Now, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was on this earth and he walked around and he had a body, he had flesh and bones. And when he was walking around through that body, he healed people. He gave people new life. He touched people. He fed people. He did all those things through his body. And then he died. And then he rose. Then he ascended. And his body was gone. But his body wasn't gone. His body's still here on this earth. It just looks a little bit different. Back then it was flesh and bones. Today it's the mystical body of Christ, which is the church. And here's the important part. We believe that we participate in the same life of Christ through the church today. So the same new life that Jesus gave to the Samaritan woman, we receive that new life through his body today. The same breath of the Holy Spirit Jesus gave to his disciples, we receive that same breath through his body, the church today. Everything that Jesus gave, all the healing, all, all the new life, all the hope, everything that Jesus gave through his physical body, he today gives through his mystical body. And the same way people shared in his life by participating with his physical body, by sharing life with him on this earth 2,000 years ago, we share his life specifically through the sacraments or the mysteries of the church. And each one of the sacraments as we've been looking at in this series is a participation in the eternal, is a form of divinity on this earth, is something incarnational, okay? The first incarnation, God took flesh, Okay, in skin and bones and hair and, and toenails and fingernails. God took flesh. Well, today, God takes flesh as well. But he doesn't take flesh and skin and bones in the same way. He takes flesh through water and oil. He takes flesh through the laying on of hands. Where we're going to see today, the pinnacle of all the sacraments. 
He takes flesh through bread and wine in the Eucharist. What we're going to talk about today is something which obviously isn't easy to talk about. Because today we sit at home, locked up in our homes, can't go to church, and we can't celebrate the Eucharist. So it doesn't seem like the ideal time to give a whole sermon about what the Eucharist is and what communion is. But I look at it a little bit differently. I look at it as, you know what, we are going to go back to the Eucharist one day. We are going to have communion. And, and maybe in some places, people who are listening to this, okay, your churches have already started reopening. We are going to go back. But the hope is that when we go back, we are more prepared and we have a greater understanding, a deeper understanding of what it is that we are participating in. And my hope is today is to understand, is to discuss together how, I'll give you the key thought right now and then we'll break it down over the course of our time together. The Eucharist, here's our key thought. The Eucharist is the fulfillment of Christ's ministry on earth. The Eucharist is the fulfillment. That's not saying the Eucharist is the only way we can know Christ. Of course, we can know him through prayer, know him through scripture. We can, we can share um, in fellowship together. We can serve one another. We can know Christ in many ways. But what I'm saying is the fulfillment, the pinnacle of Christ's ministry, of our experience with him, is in the Eucharist, is in communion. It's what he came for, and it's what I was made for. And we'll talk about that today. Now, before we get into that, there's two parts to the Eucharist, two parts to the communion, and I'm only going to talk about one today. There's unity between me and God, and unity between me and my fellow man, okay? And both are essential components of the Eucharist. We're only going to talk about the me and God piece, not the me and one another piece. Not because it's not important, but just simply because it's not our topic here for today. But it is an important piece of communion, and you cannot have unity with God without unity with one another. This is why one of the things, okay, is that ever since this time of quarantine, I just, I haven't been praying liturgies. I know some priests are praying like small liturgies, and it's just them and a few people. I prayed a liturgy on Easter. Okay, we were all streaming that together, and I prayed one other liturgy since. It's just something just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right because it's not communion. isn't just about me and God. It's about me and you. It's about us together. It's about the closer I get to God. Think of the, the all of creation as a circle. Okay. And, and God is in the center. So as I get closer to God, closer to God, closer to God, I also get closer to one another, right? As each one steps into Christ, we get, we get closer to one another as well. So I feel just something is off with it. Okay, and I pray for the day and I can't wait for the day that we can share in that meal together because communion, the Eucharist, is not just about me and God. It's about us together in that unity. But like I said, that's not our topic for today. So I'm going to leave that one aside, not because it's not important. But what I want to talk about is how the Eucharist is the fulfillment of Christ's ministry when it comes to my relationship with him. And there's many different directions that I could take this talk in. But I want to answer two questions and just two questions. I want to talk about what happens in communion and what happens because of communion. Okay, so what happens in communion and what happens because of communion or as a result of communion. So let's start with the first one. What happens in communion? You got all kinds of different theories out there. Some people, a lot of people celebrate communion, a lot of churches celebrate it, but not all with the same understanding or the same mindset. Some people say it's a symbol. Some people say it's just a remembrance, like a memorial, kind of like we, it's Memorial Day weekend. So it's kind of like that. So we're just remembering. Well, what do we say in the Orthodox Church? Well, literally what we do say right before communion, okay, I got a passage here from the, from the liturgy of St. Basil, which the priest says right before communion at the very end. The priest says, I believe, I believe 
I believe, and I confess to the last breath, that this is the life-giving body that, our, that your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, took from Our Lady. The Lady of us all, the Holy Theotokos, St. Mary, he made it one with his divinity without mingling, without confusion, and without alteration. I believe, I believe, I believe that this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. Not a symbol. Not a spiritual. Not a memory. Like what we do on Memorial Day. So we, during the liturgy, we say, do this in remembrance of me. So some people say, it's like that. We just remember Christ and we just take it as like a memorial. Kind of like, you know, when someone passes away, like again, on Memorial Day, we think of them or we go visit their grave and we remember them and we honor them. Okay. But we don't for a second think that the person who has passed away that we are remembering, we don't think for a second that they're there with us. Okay. They're, they're with us in spirit or with us in our heart or whatever it may be. But we don't think for a second they're actually there with us. But that's not the Eucharist. No, 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 no. The Eucharist is the real body of Christ, the real blood of Christ, not a symbol, not a memorial day, but in actuality, he is there with us. I'll show you a quote here from one of the church fathers from the fourth century. His name is St. Ambrose. Look what he says. He says, the Holy Eucharist is the repetition of the Last Supper. The repetition of the Last Supper. Then he explains, it is also the self-same sacrifice of the cross, repeated mystically. That's the key word. This does not mean that it is done all over again, but rather, once again, made actual and present to those of us living today. So what he's saying there, he's saying it's the same body and the same blood that was on the Last Supper table. It's the same body that hung on the cross. But with that said, he's not saying that Jesus is doing it over and over and over and over. It's not like Jesus is like, okay, what time's liturgy today? Or, you know, which church am I going to go to now? And, oh no, time zones. It's not that it's happening over and over and over and over. But what it says right here, it is once again made actual and present. So it was made actual and present when it happened 2,000 years ago. And mystically, don't ask me to explain, but mystically, it is made actual and present today. The day that we show up at church, it is made actual and present. He goes on. So the divine liturgy is not a reenactment of the Eucharistic mystery, not a reenactment, but it is a timeless and eternal recapitulation or recreation and mystical participation in the divine kingdom. What he's saying to us, this is a mystery. Don't ask me to explain how, but when we show up, when we show up at the table of the Lord, we believe that the same body, the same Peter ate and the same blood, the St. John drank. Same body and blood that we eat and drink as well. Same flesh and blood that was offered at the table of the Last Supper. I don't ask me to explain. That's a mystery. And again, not saying that he does it many times, but it was saying it's exactly like when we talked about baptism, that we believe that mystically, when we go under the water in baptism, we enter the tomb with Christ. I'm not saying that it's like a, a, a you know, back to the future kind of a situation. I'm not saying like that. I'm not saying that Christ keeps going in the tomb. No, he did it once, but he's eternal. So when eternal takes place, it's timeless, it's above time. And, mis and mystically, through the mysteries of the church, I today in the year 2020 connect with the timeless act of God through this channel called the church and specifically the mysteries. Same thing on when, I'm, when I receive chrismation. Okay, it's like I'm there on Pentecost. When I receive the Holy Spirit in chrismation, it's as if I'm there on the Pentecost. It's not like what they got the Holy Spirit on Pentecost is different than the Holy Spirit I get when I get receive chrismation. Same priesthood, same breath of the Holy Spirit that I received, okay, is the same breath that Jesus gave to his disciples. It's the same, but it's mystical how we can connect to something that took place so long ago. So if someone asks you, 
What happens in communion? What happens in the Eucharist? You say this. You say, in the Eucharist, we receive the same body and the same blood that Jesus offered at the Last Supper. No difference. What Peter, James, and John got is what me and you get. No difference. Same body. There's only one Christ, one body, and one flesh, and one blood that was offered for us all. Now, I realized there's like two different reactions to what I'm saying. Okay, if you grew up in the church, you're like, yeah, body and blood of Christ, no problem. I realized that if you're listening to this and you did not grow up in the church, and you're like, consider yourself a logical, scientific, analytical, rational person, this sounds crazy. Like, this sounds crazy. This sounds like the stuff that, that they make horror movies out of. Like, this sounds crazy. It makes no sense. What does it mean that, first of all, what does it mean that you eat my flesh and blood? And then what does it mean that, that, that someone else eats it after that and a year later and 2,000 years later and for the rest of eternity? I realize that it doesn't make any sense. But before you rush to say that this thing is crazy, maybe you need to go have a conversation with Jesus because you know what? Jesus believed that this was true. We're going to look at a passage from John chapter 6 where Jesus speaks about himself as the bread of life. And listen to what Jesus says. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what Jesus says right here. John 6 verse 53 says, Most assuredly, most assuredly, he starts off, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, not, not, not spiritually, not symbolically, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Jesus says, my flesh is food in truth, indeed, in actuality. And of course, many of his disciples, when they heard this the first time, they said, what are you talking about, Jesus? This stuff is crazy. Verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Yeah, it is a hard saying. What does it mean to eat flesh? What does it mean to drink blood? You're right. It's a hard saying. They had every right to say this. Jesus responded. And Jesus didn't water it down. Didn't take it down a notch. In fact, he did the exact opposite. He reiterated his point in verse 61 and 62. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Jesus says to them, really? This offends you? You don't get this? What he's basically saying to them is, look, there's bigger stuff coming. If, you, if, you, if you, you're going to stick with just what you can see, look, all of life with God, this is an important point. All of life with God is a mystery. That's why we in the Orthodox Church don't talk about seven sacraments. Okay, We talk about the life, the sacramental life, the life of the mysteries, everything in life. God is a mystery. You're telling me God, God could become a baby, born of a virgin, born in a manger, lived as a carpenter. God can do all those things. Well, if he can do all those things, why can he not be bread and wine? Like, think about it. If God can do those things, if he can raise the dead, if he can walk on water, if he can open the eyes of the blind, if he can raise himself from the dead and ascend up to heaven, why can he not? possibly give himself in, in, in bread and wine. Another church father, St. John Chrysostom, says it this way. He says, we receive within us the same body of our Lord Christ that was born in the manger of Bethlehem, the same body that walked on the Sea of Galilee, the same body that was crucified on Calvary, the same body that was resurrected from the tomb, the same body that ascended into heaven and now sits on the right hand of the Father, 
There's no power in life greater than this. Same body. Same body. And if you believe that God can do all those things, that he can rise from the dead, if you believe that he can do all those things, why would you not believe that he can give himself in bread and wine? Like either he's God or he's not. If he's God, nothing impossible. If he isn't, then none of it would happen to begin with. St. John says right here, same body. And I love this quote. I love this quote because it leads us to question number two. Question number one, what we said, what happens in communion? Same body, same blood as the Last Supper. Now, what happens because of communion? A result of what difference does it make to me and you? I would say this. As a result of communion, unity between God and man, and really God and me, unity between God and man is restored. Unity between God and man is restored. Let's take a step back. If you were to ask God, God, the incarnation, why'd you do it? Why'd you come down and take flesh? Why'd you send your son down to live on this earth? Why'd you do it? I think God, just like he did, just like Jesus did with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, would take you back on a, a little tour of history. And he'd say, well, let's go back to how this, all, this whole thing started. It started with Adam and Eve in the garden. And there, God and man, before the fall, God and man were united. There was a unity. There was a communion together. And then the, ha- the fall happened. And when the fall happened, the communion was broken. The unity was broken. All of a sudden, man was separate. There was isolation. And when there was isolation and a disconnection, there was death. Why? This is an important point. Not because God killed them, but because God is the source of life and they disconnected from him. It's not that life, God, said no more for you. It's that they said they disconnected from God. And once they disconnected, then all of a sudden they had no life. Just like these fancy lights that are blinding me in front of my eyes right here. Okay, these lights are shining and they're bright. But if I disconnect them from the wall, I pull the plug, then they're not very powerful. They can be costing a million dollars, $10 million for these lights, whatever it is. But if they're not plugged into the source of power, they're dead. And that is the story of history. The story of history is how God created man, connected, man disconnected, man pulled the plug, and then all of history is God working to restore this connection and restore this unity with his creation. That's why we call Christ the Redeemer. Okay, Redeemer means the one who restores, the one who returns something to its rightful place, who redeems it back to its original state. That's what Christ did. He restored mankind to its state of unity with God. The Israelites, when they saw the Messiah coming or they heard the Messiah was coming, they thought he was going to redeem them in an earthly sense, that he would restore their kingdom and their land and their temple. And they're still waiting for that today. But the truth is, is that, that Christ's mission was never just to restore land, never to restore a building. Christ's mission was to restore us in an eternal sense. Okay, that what was lost between man and God, that unity, that connection, and that's exactly what he did. Restored the oneness between God and man. And it's clear that this was Jesus's central mission to restore that oneness, restore that unity by two things, by his last actions and by his last words before his death. Okay, his last action, that's an easy one. Before Christ died, the last thing that he did with his disciples 
Okay, the last major thing that he did was he gave them the last supper. He gave them his body and his blood. And he said to them, I'm going. I'm not going to do any miracles now. I'm not going to teach anything right now. I'm going to give you the most important thing. And he gave them his body and his blood. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. This is the fulfillment of my mission. Everything that I was teaching in these last few years. In fact, everything from the prophets, from Moses and Abraham and Isaac and all those guys, everything was to get us to this point. Why I gave you the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Why I talked about the temple. Why you had priests. Why you had kings. All of that was to lead to this point of oneness, of intimacy, to restore the unity. And that's why the culmination of his ministry there, give them his body and blood. But then also you, you see it in his last words. After the Last Supper, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see recorded in the, in, the, in the 17th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, his final prayer, his final words before he was arrested and, and was beaten and, 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 thrown in, er, er, and thrown on the cross and crucified. And we see that here in John chapter 17, verse 21. This is Christ's final words, final prayer. Look what he says. He says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Look, it isn't very hard to figure out what Jesus is praying about right here. What is Jesus praying about? on his final night on this earth. What is Jesus saying? What is he, give me strength, Father. Is he praying for wisdom? Is he praying for patience? Is he praying for, you know, uh, remember, bless those who didn't come here this week, let them come next week. Like, what is Jesus praying for on his final night on this earth? One, five times, that they may be one. Me and them, you and me, us, them and us, made perfect in one. Do you think this oneness Jesus was talking about was a symbolic oneness? That we would be like just a symbol of our unity or just like spiritually one? I don't think so because he says it very clear right there. He says the same way that you are in me and I in you. That's not a spiritual oneness between the father and the son. That's a real oneness. That's a true unity and a true communion. And Jesus puts our unity in that same category and that we would be made perfect in one. So what that tells me is that what Jesus is praying for right here is something new, something that they've never tasted before, something they've never seen before. And what he's saying to them is, look, look, I've been with you guys for these past three years and you've gotten to know me and we've been, yeah, we've been like one, we've been like one, we've been one, but no, 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 no. What I'm praying for right now, what I want to give you is much greater than that. And that's the oneness that we find fulfilled in the Eucharist. And I love how he says right here, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. He's putting that oneness, okay, the same way that the Father and the Son united together in a real way. He wants to be united with us. So think about it. Jesus is telling each one of us, I don't want to be just your master. I don't want to be just your boss. I don't want to be just your Lord. I don't want to be just your advisor. I don't want to be just your physician. I don't want to be just your friend. I don't want to just be your advisor. I want to be one with you. And that's the goal. And anything short of that doesn't fulfill my mission. And, and we can't just take those words lightly and take those words easily. God, who is completely transcendent, 
who is above us and beyond us in every way imaginable, says that I desire to unite with you, to be have intimacy with you, to have union with you? My question to you, have you ever thought about why? Why does God want to be united with us so much? Like why, why God isn't just, you know what, just pray, just love, just, you know, obey, just like do those things. Like why God wants more? I'll give you an example. And it's an example of garlic. Garlic. Something that I do, okay, in case you, some people know this about me, may not know, but those upstairs in my family know, is that I take garlic every day. Not a garlic pill, not garlic tablets, like garlic. Like I take the thing and I pull one, you know, little thing of garlic off. I slice it, okay, and I, I swallow it. And it's a practice that I've been doing since I was, I worked as a waiter, okay, when I was like 19, 20 years old. And um, our store manager, okay, I still remember him, Joe D. Palermo, good guy, taught me this. Okay, Joe D. Palermo never missed a day of work. Never missed a day of work. Okay, Joe D. Palermo worked from the beginning to the end of the day. And I asked him how he never gets sick. And he said that garlic is his trick. So I said, boom, I'm going to do the same thing. And I take a little bit of garlic every single day. Now, the problem before you run out, okay, and start doing this. Okay, I know there's garlic pills that you can take, but I like the real deal. The problem is obvious. The problem is the smell. And if you've ever done this for an extended period of time, like you could do one day of garlic or two days of garlic, but after about a week of garlic, then you start to smell like garlic, okay? Your breath starts to smell like garlic. When you burp, sorry, it smells like garlic. It's the grossest one of all. I can smell the garlic when I sweat. Like when I'm working out, okay, if I've been doing the garlic thing repeatedly, you can smell the garlic coming out your sweat, and man, it feels like a good sweat. So because of that, okay, because of that, I want to be sensitive to the people that I'm seeing. So I, year-round, I don't do this year-round, okay? What I usually do is, you know, every couple days, every now and then, I do some garlic. But now, because of the, uh, the virus that's going on, I want to boost my immunity, okay, and, and you know, make sure that I'm in, in, in good physical shape. I have resurrected the garlic habit. And that's not the only reason I resurrected it. Because I'm not seeing people on a regular basis. Basically, hey, you know what? If the sweat smells, I don't have to, I'm not going to the gym. It's just my poor family that has to deal with it. So you know what? Let it be their problem, right? So the way garlic works, okay, I'm getting back to my point right here. The way garlic works, it's a small little, you know, seed or vegetable. Or I don't know what garlic is. It's a small little thing. It goes inside my body. And all of a sudden, that small little thing impacts everything around me, okay? And when I'm doing the garlic thing regularly, okay, you can smell me coming a mile away. Yep, there he comes. Like, you can smell it, okay? So the small little thing goes inside me, and it impacts everything else around me. It overpowers the rest of me. What does that have to do with communion in the Eucharist? By receiving Christ, by receiving the body of Christ, we become the body of Christ. By receiving the body of Christ, we become the body of Christ. Just as in a way, when I continue to partake in garlic, I become garlic. When I continue to put it inside me, it expands past me. The same is true in a slightly different way with the body of Christ. It transforms us from the inside out. There's a very nice book out there. It's called Partakers of the Divine Nature by a, 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 a writer. I'm going to try my best to pronounce his name, but um, forgive me if I get it wrong here. 
Christophoros Stavropoulos. Stavropoulos. Okay, it's obviously a Greek name called Partakers of the Divine Nature. Anyway, what, what this author talks about, he talks about the Eucharist, and he talks about how through the Eucharist, we are transformed into what we received, kind of like the garlic. Okay, by eating the garlic, I become garlic. Okay, so the same way, by partaking in the body of Christ, I become the body of Christ. We become what we are partaking of or what we receive. So when we receive the Eucharist, we are touching divinity. We are receiving divinity. We are partaking in a divine touch. And in turn, we become divine. We become godlike. We become, think of it like fire. There's fire. When I jump in the fire, okay, especially if I'm wearing flammable clothes, I become fire. He says it this way. In the mystery of the Eucharist, human beings are interpenetrated by the divine. Just as a rod of iron thrust into a searing flame soon becomes itself a fire engulfed in flame. Thus, the human is made divine without, of course, giving up its natural qualities. Meaning, he's not saying that we become God. I'm not like, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then me. He's not saying it like that. He's saying we partake in the divine nature through partaking in the Eucharist. He goes on. Our human nature, look how beautiful this is, is intertwined with Christ, intermingled with the divine reality. I love that word intertwined. That's the shared life. That's the participation. It's great to read the Bible. It's great to pray. It's great to serve. It's great to fellowship. All those things are great. But the fullness is when we are intertwined with Christ through his body and blood in the Eucharist. When God took flesh, the incarnation, Jesus united fully with humanity, full divinity, full humanity. He reunited the creator with the creation. There was a restoration, a redemption that took place. Through the Eucharist, the same restoration takes place. But now, not between God and mankind. Between God and me. The same way there was a fall of mankind, was restored by the incarnation. There's a fall of this mankind. There's a fall of me and you. We sin daily. And how are we restored? How are we restored to our rightful place? The connection. How are we plugged back in? What sin does is it unplugs us. How are we plugged back in? We're plugged back into the Eucharist. And not just restored back to our original state. No, actually taken to a much deeper level, a higher level of intimacy. That's what the Eucharist is all about. It's the difference. Okay, what is the difference between knowing about Christ versus sharing in his life? It's the difference between living by the beach Versus being a mermaid living in the ocean. Living by the beach is nice. You can enjoy some of the benefits of the beach. But come on, man. That's not the same as living in the ocean with the mermaid, with the fins and the gills and the stuff like that. It's the same, it's the same as the difference between having a roommate versus having a spouse. A roommate, we share co close quarters. We share a room. But a spouse, we share life. We share everything about ourselves. That's the difference that's what God wants for us in the Eucharist. Not just a knowledge about, but a knowledge of. Now, <clears throat> with that said, I realize, like I said, it is not easy to speak about the Eucharist at a time when we can't participate in it and we can't practice it. But let me reassure you of this. Churches will open. We will be back. I don't know when that's going to be. 
but the Eucharist will be back again and you will partake of the Eucharist. And it'll be the same Eucharist that you left before. The Eucharist won't change. The power won't change. The godness in the bread and wine won't change. But what I hope does change is the attitude with which we approach it. And maybe God is giving us this time. You know, they say, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder, whatever it may be. Maybe God is giving us this time away from the Eucharist to evaluate our attitude, to understand it at a deeper level. Again, the Eucharist will be the same. But will you? Will you return to the same, with the same lax attitude that you've carried in the past? The kind of strolling in and kind of looking at it. Will you return to looking at it as if you're doing God a favor by taking communion? Or will you continue to look at, at communion, this is one of my pet peeves, as like a magic trick of like, you know, if I take it, then nothing bad can happen to me. So you know what, Father Anthony, I got a big test on Friday. I need communion today. Or I got to go before a judge because I got a ticket. I got to take communion today. As if communion is some kind of gimmick, some kind of magic trick. Communion will return. And we will return. Communion will be the same. Will we? Or will we return with a greater understanding of the truth and seeing that communion, no matter how much I speak, can't do justice. The one who holds the universe in the palm of his hands, the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hand is somehow held in my hand as I give you bread and wine. The one who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That one sits inside me through bread and through wine. He sits in a chalice. He sits on a plate and he's willing to dwell inside me. Me, piddly little me. Me who can't do anything right in my spiritual life. Me who's got pride, who's got impurity, who's got greed. Me who can't stay five minutes in prayer without being distracted. Can't stay five minutes in prayer without being distracted. And the king of the universe is willing to make his home inside me. What's greater than that? Finish up by saying this. Communion, or the Eucharist. Communion is what he came for, and it's what I was made for. Communion is what he came for, and it's what I was made for. Communion is where everything that's broken gets fixed. It's where everything that was wrong gets righted. It's when I get put back to where I belong, when I'm plugged back in to the creator of the universe. So, in the same way that in the Garden of Eden, something was broken, it was restored by God takes flesh, incarnation, dwelling in human form. In the same way that inside me and you, when something gets broken, and something's always broken in there, it gets restored, it gets redeemed, how? through the Eucharist, through Christ incarnation, through Christ taking flesh, becoming incarnate, but this time not in flesh and bones, but in bread and wine. And it's through that bread and through that wine that we connect to the almighty God. And it's my hope and my prayer that, like I said, that when we return, when we return, we will not return the same way that we left. We return with a greater appreciation and understanding of the mystery of God dwelling in us. Let's bow our heads and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of incarnation and the gift of the Eucharist and everything that you've given to us, Lord, in your church. We will never understand what it means, Lord, to be part of your mystical body and receive you inside of us. But I pray, Lord, that you'd help us all to never take for granted what you've given to us in the church, to appreciate the mysteries 
and to, to put greater emphasis in, on, on our understanding of them and our participation in you through them. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us again today. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. I'll leave some, some questions up here on the screen that you can keep the conversation going. And I hope to see you back next week as we kick off the new series, Disconnected. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone.